0: Welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. Anyway, it's great to be with you this morning, great to be able to, to bring the Word and uh, I want to tell you, I want to tell you about how I got saved. Can I do that? Would you like to hear that? It's, it's a very short story. Um, I, actually, I can make it a bit longer, so I will. Um, I, I was away on a football trip in Newcastle, of all places, where Pastor John and Francine are this morning. They're in Newcastle, teaching and preaching down there. So I was away on a football trip in Newcastle, and I came back and I met this young lady, and, um, and I decided I, would, I, I might pursue her. And, uh, and she was a Christian, apparently, a, a Salvation Army girl, of all things. And, um, and after a while, we started going out, and I, I started going to this, this Bible study, and, uh, and 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 I sort of bought a Bible. I, you know, I went down to Brody's bookshop and bought a Good News Bible, which is what you do when you're not saved. You know, you don't know about Christian bookshops. You just go to the local bookshop and buy a Bible. So I did this, and uh, and I started reading it, and I sort of started feeling like I was getting closer to God. And I started going to this Bible study run by this guy from the church, and and it, and I became more and more interested in what was in what was going on, and and I could I could feel like I was you know. I was moving towards God, but He was actually moving towards me. That's what was happening. And, and, and I finally convinced myself that, you know, that I should give my life to Him. And, um, and I went along one Sunday morning to just do that, to do that very thing. And, and it was actually a Sunday night to do that very thing. But our, our normal ministers, the normal ministers of the church were away. They were on leave somewhere. And in the Salvation Army, what they do is they'll, they'll send somebody out. And they sent out this guy from their marketing department. In the marketing department, you have to have some special talent. And this guy's talent was that he was a ventriloquist. <laughs> yeah. Say hello to the people, Freddie. You know, that sort of, that, with a dummy and everything. And so he preached the whole message with a dummy and sort of asked it questions. And, and, and at the end... I just couldn't bring myself to respond to an altar call where there was a dummy involved. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? I mean? You know, things of stone and wood. It was almost—I i didn't know what idolatry was then, but it could have been that. You know, you're giving your life to this made thing. So I, I said to—I said to Nerida who was the girl I was going out with, who I eventually married. I said, what do I do? And she says, go and see Bill. Bill was the guy who led the Bible study and Bill took me out and in the front seat of his Tirana, we, <laughs> I prayed the sinner's prayer. And, uh, and, and at that moment, at that moment, God just sort of exploded in the front seat of the Tirana and his presence was there and it was so thick and I was a mess and when I got out of the car, I could hardly walk. It was just, it was like... It was. Let's start this whole thing off with an encounter. Let's do that. Let's just let's just he, let's just show this guy that I'm powerful and I'm present and I'm there for him. Hey, and and since then, since then, I've never settled for anything short of his presence in my life. His explosive power, the miraculous, the supernatural, all of that stuff. You know, that separates us from being the Rotary Club. Not that I've got anything against the Rotary Club, but. But they don't have the power of God, do they? You know, and that's what separates us from just being like an organization, that we have the power of God, the limitless power of God available to us, that His presence will come and live inside of us. And this morning I want to tell you you a story from the book of Judges, round about chapter 13. It's about Samson. Everyone knows who Samson is. Strong guy, kills lions, uh, kills Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, whatever that might be. It's a donkey bone or something like that. Don't know how he did that, but anyway, he did that. And, and anyway, this, is, this these are the events that surround his birth. His mother was barren. She couldn't have babies. But one day an angel rocked up and told her that, that she was going to have a baby and that he was going to be a deliverer of Israel and that, that she had to stay off the drink, stay away from the booze, and this kid will grow up And you can't cut his hair, and he will be a deliverer for Israel. Anyway, she gets really excited about this, as you would, and she goes and tells her husband, whose name is Manoah. We're not sure what the wife's name is because she doesn't really get a mention, but the husband's name is Manoah, and he says, I I want to hear this for myself. I want want the angel to come to me and tell me this. Well, the angel goes back and tells her again what's going to happen, and she runs and gets him. And so he comes along and has a conversation with this angel. It's the angel of the Lord, the Scripture says, which is sort of like Jesus before he came to earth. It's a, a pre-incarnate uh, picture of Jesus. And he's there telling this couple that they're going to have a baby. And, and Manoah, I, I don't know what's in his mind, but somehow he wants to verify the authenticity of this message. And he says to him, you know... Um, What's your name? What's your name? So we can, we can thank you when, it, when the birth takes place. You know, I don't know what he was going to do, send the angel a postcard. But anyway, the angel says to him, and this is important that we get this, he says, why do you ask my name since it is wonderful? Wonderful is probably an adequate translation of that. But a better translation from the original Hebrew would be without defining boundaries. Why do you ask my name since it is limitless? Since it has no boundaries? The word is pili, and it means without defining boundaries. The angel is saying to him, Why do you want to limit me to a name? Names create limitation. If I say cup, bottle, bucket, dam, ocean... You, you get in your mind a picture of the limitedness of those vessels. You get a, an idea in your mind the limitations of those vessels, what they are able, able to hold. But as you say the name, the boundaries change. And he says to him, why do you want me to be limited? Because I'm limitless. See, the power of God is is, is so vast and without limitation that when he does something, when he performs a miracle in this earth, it doesn't it doesn't overtax the grid in heaven. The lights don't flicker in heaven when, when a miracle happens. The, 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 the power meter doesn't sort of go down a little bit. That, that's his nature. It's limitless. He cannot be contained. If you, you walk through a Christian bookshop and you see all these, these names of Jesus, because we want to define him, we want to know, we want to know the boundaries of him. There are none. You know, it's King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting God, that sort of thing. They're, they're great names and they describe him, but they don't fully describe him. He's limitless. It's almost impossible to limit him to a series of titles, no matter how spectacular they are. And it's him who's come to live inside of you. And it's him who has prepared your destiny, prepared a purpose for you. That one, the limitless one. Meaning that we should not be conformed when we think about our destiny, when we think about walking in Him. Meaning that we should not be conformed to the patterns of limitation. Because there's, there's so many things, walking with God, that it feels just normal to not do. To not do. We would hate to say the word impossible, so we just behave it. And we don't tax, we don't ask for what's ours in terms of power, in terms of the supernatural, in terms of the miraculous. So part of what I have to do is confront in me the willingness to realise that God has so much more for me than what I'm currently experiencing. And am I willing to pursue that? And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Are you willing to pursue the more, what God has for you, the more, more than what you have now? Or are you going to settle and rest or stop at the resistance? Or will you press into Him and be everything that He has called you to be? Because I suggest to us that we're not, all of us, reached our final destination in Him. Can you say amen? Yeah. yeah. See, there's, there's a place in Israel. Not, actually, it's not in Israel. It's just outside of Israel, and that's the whole point of this thing. It's called Moab. And, and you see Moab in Scripture. And, and you see it so often. And I, I, I just Googled it. Do this if you want to. I, the meaning of Moab. I put that in. And it said, a land just short of the promised land. So it's so easy for us to live in a place that is just short of all that God has for us. Can you see that? Will I stop at the resistance or will the possibilities propel me into a place that might be uncomfortable, but there's that requirement that I grow into it. See, nothing shall be impossible with God, the Scriptures tell us, and He has so much more for us than we could even step into. It's a transformation to the way we think. It's a transformation to what we've experienced and what we will experience and what we've seen other people experience. So, against that background, I want to read just a couple of verses and we'll get the ball rolling this morning in mark chapter 16 i just want to read two verses and they're very confronting verses it says this and these signs this is verse 17 these signs will follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak with new tongues they will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover Are the signs following? Look at your life and say, are the signs following? I made a decision a few years ago. The signs obviously weren't following. And so I decided that I would follow the signs until the signs followed me. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to put ourselves in a place of expectation of God to intervene and and transform things supernaturally. Some of you are looking at me in disbelief. Don't you believe God is supposed to be, is a supernatural God, that He wants to to intervene? Every Christian must have a theology of miracles. Every Christian must have a theology of the supernatural. And that must contain the facts that those things are available to us, for us to appropriate, that the supernatural is available to us. Miracles are available to us. So often we have a theology that, revolves around what doesn't happen. You know, we pray for someone and they don't get healed, so we revise our theology downward and we say, well, it must be God's will, or it must be, there must be, you know, this is it, we create a theology around what doesn't happen rather than what the Bible has said. Don't go there. Don't revise your theology downward in order to explain your own experience, in order to feel good about yourself, but be confronted by the words of Scripture, these signs shall follow them that believe. Where are the signs, Lord? Where are the signs? I've got to come to you and find out why. After my initial salvation experience, I was just, I was just overwhelmed. I felt God was speaking to me almost on a daily basis, well, at least daily. And, uh, and you know, things were happening. Miraculous things would happen. Miraculously, things would turn up when I needed them. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, this is great. This is really good and then i got discipled and explained to the, and it was explained to me by people well meaning older people who said that ah uh, you know miracles well we don't really know we don't really know and and it when i look at it there are there are three main streams of theology that go against miracles people have just have made these up the first one is cessationism and that says that all miracles finished when the last apostle died, the last of the original twelve died, or that all miracles finished when the Bible was printed. That's a conundrum for me because when I read the Bible I read about miracles, I read about the supernatural, I read about how it is available to me, how how that the gospel in the book of Acts chapter 15 isn't complete, isn't the full gospel without the demonstration of power. So don't revise your theology downward. Another one, cessationism, exceptionism—that miracles could only be performed by certain people, exceptional people, sovereign vessels. That's not the way the Bible reads. This, these signs shall follow them that believe. All of them. Do you believe? Well, look behind you. Look for them. And then there was another, another way of thinking called monasticism, that yes, we can experience the supernatural power of God, but we've got to get away on our own. Or that it happens in places, in remote places, in, in, in islands in the Pacific, but not here, not in the Western world. That there are reasons for it. I don't accept any of them. When we pray for someone, this is, this is generally the pattern, we pray for someone once, maybe they don't get healed. We might pray a second or even a third time and then we say, oh no, okay, must be God's will or something like that. They're not going we, we, we create a theology around that event. I don't know if you know of a man named John Wimber but he was a, one of the founding fathers of a denomination that sprang up in the US called vineyard and and he felt that he felt this same pressure he felt this you know I'm praying for people they're not being healed I'm not seeing your miraculous hand Lord and he felt that God said to him pray for a thousand people and then come back and tell me it doesn't work and so he he did that and in the process of that began to see the signs following people began to get healed their miraculous signs demonstrations of power and 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 that's, that's what we've got to remember, that we have to persist and stay resilient to that breakthrough and not just give up on it. Um, I remember a young lady in our church who, who came to my life group and she had a back problem and it was a fairly debilitating back problem. And I said, I said to her, I'm going to pray for you. But I, I said, I want to take responsibility for this and follow it through. So I prayed for her at life group and I prayed for her the next week at life group. When I saw her in, in, in church, I would say to her, how's the back? And she'd say, oh, it's not good. So I prayed for and I kept praying. And this went on, this process went on for 18 months. And then finally, there began to be some signs. So we persist, we push through, we stay in there, we hang in there, we hang in there and grit our teeth and look for that breakthrough. Okay, so we should have a theology of miracles. And probably I'm going to give you two scriptures that are a great place to start. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's 2 verses, 4 and 5. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, our faith needs to be in the power of God, not in, not in persuasive words. See the two go together well. Yeah, you, know, you can. I, I've I've tried to persuade people to follow Jesus in the past, it, with some success. You know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But once there is a demonstration of power, you just can't deny that God is there. I had a friend who just who used to say, "Oh, that, yeah, that that falling over stuff in church. That's all. That's all a little bit of." rubbish, you know, it's, it's, Yeah, they use electronic pulses to make people uh, and do that and that sort of, you know, or they, they, they push you around and disorientate you and push you over and I saw him go to an altar one night at a youth rally and he walked out the front and he just stood there like this and... Um, and the, the the pastor came up and he he went to put his hand on him, but he didn't even get there. His sort of hand was about this far away from this guy's head and he just flew backwards, parting the crowd, landed on his backside and skidded along, you know. And after that, he didn't say anything. (laughs) Let me give you another verse. John 14 verse 12 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these, he will do, because I go to my Father. Do you not find that challenging? Do you not find that that all of the things that Jesus did, and Jesus didn't do miracles to demonstrate what God can do. Jesus did miracles to demonstrate what a man can do in right relationship with God. That's what he did. And so he says all of the things he did, we can do greater things. We can do bigger things. We can do more miraculous things. I don't know. I find that, I find that so confronting. I find that, I, I think, I've got to have it, you know? It doesn't stop. It's not just for some and it doesn't happen in out-of-the-way places. So what's the qualification here? He who believes in me, the greater works that he'll, he'll do. You know, I really believe that God wants us to experience the miraculous in our every day. You know, Jesus, Jesus performed miracles on the way. He was at a wedding. They ran out of wine. He made some more. Pretty, pretty simple. You just went, okay, fill those pots up with water and there it is. But see, God is multidimensional. What's the will of God? The will of God is contained in what we know as the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. What's happening on heaven can happen on earth. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't get us to pray. Can you imagine that? Oh, I'll get him to pray this. I'll get him to pray on earth as it is in heaven and then we won't do it. It doesn't work like that, you know. It, it, on earth as it is in heaven must be a possibility. Jesus told us to pray that. It, it, this can't be diminished and it can't be pushed into another period of time. It's a mandate for all of us. To pray that prayer and then to be the vessel that it flows through. See, that's the ultimate level of the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. So the will of God on earth requires the miraculous to be demonstrated. See, I I said last weekend at at Collingwood Park that we baptised two more people last week, we baptised 10 people at Collingwood Park since October And, and so we've Things are going well, but I said, I said that worship challenges the enemy forces that we fight against. But our Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Worship challenges them. Preaching challenges them. Baptisms challenge them. They are a demonstration of people being saved, people coming under the power of God. But miracles take away their authority. Miracles show there's been a transform transfer of authority and that authority is ours and that demonstrates that and and see for us at Collingwood Park we're breaking through we're trying to break through you know there's a there's a lot of opposition in that area and we're trying to break through so it's important that we that we focus on things like that and that we keep pushing back against the enemy forces that oppose us see when there's a miracle I just talked about Jesus making turning water into wine that, that actual scripture says that when there's a miracle, there is a release of the doxa, the glory of God. And so there's a release of the glory of God into that situation. And, and that means another, a release of more of His glory into the earth. The glory, the doxa, it, that's the weight of His intention, His opinion on display, that is His glory, His manifest presence. In John 16, it says... Jesus says, I have so many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. So you can't bear the weight of the glory that's on them. So we have to grow in our capacity. So here's the connection. The connection is whenever God speaks, he releases a different reality. And that's what we have to understand, that what we're releasing. See, we, we have pictures in our minds of the way power is released. We often hear of the laying on of hands, touching people. You know what that actually means? You know what it actually means when Jesus touched someone and they were healed? It's not laying on of hands. And sometimes we pray for people at the altar and we, we put our hands on them. It's sort of like we're giving them a, an encouraging pat on the back. You know? It'll be all right. Yeah, come on, we're going to pray. It actually means the Greek word is hapto, to attach fire. To attach fire. Not to give somebody a comforting pat on the back, but to release something onto them from you. From you. From heaven, through you. And who is that to? Is it to the visiting minister or the pastor or the the ministry team? No. These signs shall follow them that believe. All of you. Everyone. Put up your hand if you believe. Yeah, okay. So let's, let's see some miracles later on. See, the weightiness of God is released into the environment by word, by touch. That's how it happens. And Jesus never succumbed to a formula. He, if he did something one way, then the next time he'd do it a different way, just so there was no formula, because formulas will always work once. So I want to give you now quickly four risks to take to move towards opening up or incre- increasing the flow of the supernatural in your life. Why risks? Because a lot of contemporary Christianity promotes safety, promotes conservative moving forward. Let's, let's just take a little bit of ground. Let's do, this is not that. This is a radical change around, a shift in a mindset, a renewing of our minds. So four risks with all of them there's the possibility that we may look stupid something to look forward to number 1 the risk of relationship relationship with god the risk of relationship having a relationship with a powerful supernatural god is risky it's got to be in the old testament in the book of first samuel there's there's a contrast there's a young man, a young baby is born called Samuel and and he is given to the local priest by his mother so that he might grow up in the house of the Lord and, and know God. The priest, he has two sons that he has trained in the religious ways of the day. He's trained them in that. They know everything about that. They know how to offer the sacrifice. They know just how to hold the uh, the little bowls of blood. They know everything about religion. They know how it's done. He's trained them. In their lives, if you read it, it all goes pear-shaped. They become corrupt and end up, end up being both killed in a battle. The other boy, Samuel, on the other hand, he's given one, one sentence of training. He's lying awake one night and he hears a voice And he thinks it's the priest. So he goes to the priest and said, are you calling me? He says, no, I'm not, I'm not. So he goes back to bed. hears the voice again. And he goes, are you you calling me? No, I'm not. So it happens a third time and the priest dawns on him. Maybe God's speaking to this boy. And so he says to him, if you hear the voice again, say, speak, Lord, because I hear you. That's the only bit of instruction that this boy gets. And he becomes, becomes... one of the greatest prophets in Israel, performing miracles, bringing the word of the Lord to Israel, the prophet Samuel. The two boys that knew all about how religion worked, it all went belly up. This guy stayed in relationship, stayed in connection with the Father, stayed hearing from him and knowing his voice and he ends up being successful. That's the difference between knowing how to do things and relationship. Function out of relationship not out of our, our, our sort of our management skills, our ability to make it happen on our own. Function out of relationship. Spending time with the Father in the reality that you want to reflect because He has that. That is His reality. In, in our reality, if I jump off this stage here, I will plummet to the floor and probably damage my knees. In His reality, you walk on water. We know how to go in petition. We know how to ask and we need to do that when we go to the, when we go and spend time with God. But we also need to know how to just go and be with him. Be in his presence. Not asking him for anything. Not giving us some ideas for life group tonight. Not that. We need to just go and be in his. But we need to do those other things too. We need to pray. We need to ask for things. We need to petition. But we need to just spend time developing relationship, understanding His voice, bringing our hearts before Him into submission before Him. And sometimes we 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 don't even stop speaking long enough for Him to hear. If I don't want to be offensive here, but you know, if if you watch a worship service, we don't like silence. We don't like that quiet bit. You know when a song's finished, nice worship song's finished, and and there's just silence and. The, Maybe there's a, one instrument playing. We feel like we've got to... Oh, oh we'll clap. Yeah, we'll do that. Because it's like, it's like we don't... Oh, we kind of, where is God's voice? It's in that silence. That closeness comes in that silence. But we have to learn to go to Him for Him. We get in close, He will speak to us. The risk of relationship. The second thing is the risk of identity knowing who you are, knowing who God says you are. Not knowing what people say about you, but knowing who God says you are. Abraham had to say he was a father of many nations before he even had a child. That's pretty hard. Hey, who are you? I'm a father of many nations. So where are your kids? They're on the way. In the kingdom of God, it looks like this. Gideon in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, an angel comes to him and even though Gideon is skulking in this winepress, hiding from Israel's enemies, the angel says to him, greetings you mighty warrior. The angel's not being sarcastic or anything, He's he's not mocking him, he's just revealing how Gideon was seen and known in heaven. That's what he was doing. He's just revealing how Gideon was seen and owned. See, the Bible reveals our corporate identity as the new creation, but the prophetic reveals our individual identity. We can can know who we are in God. Some of you have been given words over your life, and that reveals to you who God is saying that you are. It reveals to you how, how you were already known. See, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The Bible says that. So we should have that perspective. We're already known there and so is everything that we'll do. And the way to walk in your identity is to believe you are who God says you are. See, the truest thing in this universe about you is what God says. That's the truest thing in this universe. And so what we need to do is think of putting off the old man, not, at, not so much as to do with sin, but putting off Old ideas about ourselves, old boundaries that we placed on us, old definitions of who we are, because our our, our God is limitless. His name is limitless. So when you move towards your identity, you can't be self-examining. You can't measure yourself by past performances or by your inadequacies or your fears or insecurities. You have to say, this is who I am. So I must. His, our purpose has been prepared by Him. So that's the risk of identity. Number three, this is this is a big one: the risk of resilience, the art of living unoffended. Offendedness can dry up the flow of the Spirit in your life, like that, just like that. And that's that's Bible, James five nine. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So he's standing at the door. And if you grumble, you be offended. He's right there. The effect is almost instantaneous. The connection between being offended and judgment is immediate. And it comes like a knock at the door. The second verse, Matthew 5.25 says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. That has a meaning in the natural, but the prophetic meaning of it is not talking about a penitentiary. It's not talking about a prison. It's talking about a jail that you put yourself in by being offended. There's meaning in the natural, but the meaning in the spiritual means that matters need to be settled quickly or it's an invitation to our own imprisonment. Offence leads us into our own prison. See, as followers of Jesus, we are agents of the light of the world. The Bible says that out of our innermost beings will flow rivers rivers of living water. Living water can come in the form of encouragement, love, grace, wisdom, miracles, honour. And these things become bridges that people can walk across and walk out of darkness into light. But offence in our own lives cuts off this pathway. The bridge is out. Instead of a bridge to eternal life for people around them, people with offence become isolated and imprisoned in their own world. So, how do we define offence? Offence is this the hostile heart response towards any action that causes harm or does not comply with hopes, expectations, or belief of what is right. Although Although we believe in God, when we become offended, we make judgments that go against our own beliefs in order to get some sort of justice for ourselves. Offended people slip out from under the law of spirit and life and put themselves back under the law of sin and death. They want crime and punishment. That's what they want. They want to see somebody punished, and that's, that's, that's what they'll, they'll stop at nothing until that happens. Offended people see negative circumstances as truth unoffended people see negative circumstances as possible inputs into your life and they can just and they can push them aside whereas offended people take them on board as truth this happened this person did this to me i am hurt i need justice and it and it's and it becomes part of them see when we're when we're unoffended we can reference Negative circumstances to God. We can, in that relationship, we can say, Lord, this is happening, and we look for His response because remember, we're living out of relationship. We live out of relationship, we get His response. So we're not agents of earthy, earthly justice, we're just here to provide a release of life and love. The fourth one, the risk of revelation. If you want to increase the flow of the Spirit in your life, then I'll give, you, I'll give you one tip that will start things off immediately. Whenever there's a time that you think that God might be moving or that He might be speaking to you, you usually react like this. You say to yourself, that could be God, but it's probably me. Anyone experience that? Yep. Let me tell you the problem with that. You are not primarily a physical being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a physical experience. So that spiritual part of you is actually more real than the physical part of you. The spiritual is actually the greater reality than the physical. If that's true, then when something happens, you should approach it like this. It's probably God, but it could be me. So we just change that little shift in emphasis changes everything. I went one step further a few years ago and I just said it's almost certainly God. If I think it's God, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to go for it and act on it and just see what happens. You know, obviously I'm going to filter out any invitations that I might get in my head to rob a 7-11 or something like that, <laughs> you know. If it if it yeah, if it if it's good and it's helpful, and it's encouraging, if it's edifying, it's probably God, I'm going to do it anyway. And if, if, and if it's not God, and it's any of those things, what the heck? What have I lost? You know, so I started on that path, and I saw an immediate increase in the flow of God in my life. And in our life group, we, just, we promoted that, and we saw the same thing happen in, in so many people's lives. Miracles, and God speaking to people, it was, it was incredible. But the increase in flow from that is immediate and overwhelming. I'll tell you why that is. Have a look at this little short passage in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's a well worn um, verse or two. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, this is how I used to treat this verse. I would say, Yes, Lord, I. I acknowledge you yes and I just ask you to bless this situation see that's not bad but that was just my poor understanding of the verse in that way my paths weren't directed I didn't get much direction acknowledge when you see or hear God doing something that it's God and not you so if you say that's probably God but it could be me you're actually bringing an acknowledgement of God into that situation and you're acknowledging him in there, You say, you feel like God's doing something, you say, God, you're moving right now. That's you, that's you. I'm going with this, I'm going with this. And at that moment that you acknowledge God in all of your ways, direction comes. You have a flow of communication between the throne and you. But as long as you think it's you, then you're leaning on your own understanding. And that, that's not, that's not going to bring the flow of God. But when you say, God, that's you, you open up that whole what to do next thing and he will direct your paths and the supernatural increases exponentially in your life but it doesn't happen until you get your human mind out of the way it doesn't happen until you discount your natural suspicions and say yes God I believe you I believe you and then you have to act you can't protect your comfort zone through unbelief if, if yes god i believe you then you have to act and you acknowledge that god is actually involved so relationship it's the first one it's who you are it's who it's you and him sorry and with no agenda identity is who you are and who god says you are resilience living unoffended and revelation in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path when you acknowledge that it's his voice, that you are involved in this situation, God, that you are speaking to me, then that supernatural flow comes and he directs your path. Can you say amen? amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a supernatural God, that you speak to us, that you perform miracles, Lord, and that you expect to perform them by our hand, Lord God, that you expect us to be vessels, to be conduits, of your supernatural power, and just as we can, if we can stay in a, an attitude of of reverence, heads bowed, eyes closed. I, I just believe that really there is a release to happen this morning, that there is actually an anointing here to heal for sick people to be restored. And I, I just want to, I just want to give opportunity for that to happen. I don't want anyone to actually you need to come out of your seats we're just going to pray for you where you are because these signs shall follow them that believe which is all of you okay so